It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth for Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Coming up in this episode, while COVID-19 remains top of the news agenda and we're seeing and hearing reports of how the lockdown is devastating so many business sectors, today's first guest offers hope for new jobs and economic green shoots for Ipswich, Lockyer Valley and the wider region. And later, the most significant announcement for media since the internet was invented. It will bring a seismic shift in how we consume local news. What does it mean for the Ipswich-based Queensland Times, their readers and advertisers? It's Thursday, May 28, 2020, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australians since 1999. After Golden Circle ceased canning beetroot from the Lockyer Valley in 2011, a group known as Lockyer Valley Farmers, led by Colin Dorber, first proposed a new cannery for the region that same year. Further announcements were made in 2014, 2015 and 2018. Last year there was talk the proposed cannery would be a frozen food plant. This month we have news of funding of $80 million being secured. Mr Dorber is still saying a frozen food plant will be Stage 1, with a cannery for Stage 2. To explain this long journey, he joins me now. Thank you for talking with Ipswich today, Colin. My pleasure. Thank you. Can you put the project into some sort of context for us? What happened to the farmers whose livelihoods depended on locally grown beetroot when Golden Circle ceased production and how much is being produced now? Well, way back in May 2011, uh, Heinz, which is a massive international company at the time owned by Warren Buffett, had acquired Golden Circle some years earlier, made a lot of promises to the farmers and growers in the Lockyer Valley and surrounding regions about growth and new technology. Those farmers and growers had responded by making major investments in their future. And then by press release, Heinz announced that the beetroot industry in particular, which had produced volumes of up to 30,000 tonnes a year, was to be closed down. By the end of the calendar year 2011, they were moving to New Zealand and goodbye, good luck and all the best for the future was their message. Wow. Is it possible to put in numbers the impact on farmers from that closure? Well, the number of farmers is numerically small, about 15 individual growers. The dollar cost was many millions of dollars. 
we subsequently agreed collectively as farmers, growers and myself to sue and we sued Heinz and we had a very meaningful set of confidential negotiations. We achieved an outcome that provided some relief to the individual growers and farmers. They then contributed at the time a significant sum of money, $150,000, and we conducted an international feasibility study. That study told us two critical things. One, the future was all about economies of scale, and two, the future was extremely bright if we were prepared to be innovative and flexible in our approach. Are there any farmers still growing beetroot today? There's a very modest amount of fresh beetroot being grown here in the Lockyer Valley, which was the capital of beetroot production in Australia until 2011. Uh, but the goal is, and our ambition is, quite quickly to ramp back up to about 30,000 tonnes per annum, producing not only fresh beetroot, but also canned beetroot and beetroot powder, a very new, innovative product in worldwide demand because of its health qualities. Since the first announcement, the project, from what I can see, has been scaled up in size. So what exactly is the shape of your 2020 proposal? So the first thing we did was find a, 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 an expert, a man whose innovative skills, whose knowledge about steam production and whose ambitions were unlimited. And we found a man called Lester Underdown. He's still with us today. He has designed the project from the ground up. In 2020, our stage one project involves a building of about $16 million worth of value located in Withcott in the Lockyer Valley, uh, able to uh, operate a major fresh and frozen product line and in stage two, straight to a cannery and powder production. Uh, the product will be beans, beetroot, broccoli, capsicum, carrots, cauliflowers, corn, onions, peas and potatoes and zucchinis. Uh, the fresh elements will be the beetroot, carrot, corns and potatoes. And then the powdered will be beetroot, carrot, celery, onion, pumpkin and fruits. And of course then canning, beetroot, tomatoes, pineapples, mushrooms and corn. Very big, very exciting, leading to about 400 full-time jobs in a facility working 24-7, 365 days a year and in our first year of operation, aiming for a revenue stream of $117 million. Colin, what will the plant mean specifically for Ipswich construction businesses during the, obviously the construction phase, tradies and residents that might be looking for work once the plant is operational? Well, as a board, we have made a decision early on, which we are maintaining all the way through, that the first offer of employment is to be to Australian citizens resident in the Lockyer Valley, the Scenic Rim, Ipswich, Toowoomba. Uh, and the second obligation is that every offer to provide construction services, uh, slabs of concrete, whatever it is to build our facility is to be made on a regional basis. Our goal is to have a workforce drawn from the region. And Ipswich, of course, as a long-standing key player in the game, uh, is extremely welcome to be part of the show. We've had great support in particular from the uh, Ipswich um, uh, Research and Development Corporation, and we've had support from the community. We think that probably as many as maybe 200 of those jobs long-term, plus at least 50 of the jobs in the short term, will come from this region. 
Just going back to the list of uh, vegetables you, you mentioned earlier, by that list, it sounds to me like you'll be drawing on farmers and suppliers from a much wider region, not just the Lockyer Valley. Well, principally, it'll be the Lockyer Valley, the Darling, Darling Downs and the Scenic Rim. The critical issue is that we could grow 10 times even the volume that we need already because the Lockyer Valley is the seventh most fertile growing region in the world and it has a really unique advantage over the rest of Australia. It can grow two of every crop every year. That leads me to my next question. If the plant was operational today, is there currently enough produce grown to, to feed the plant? The farmers can ramp up between the time we announce building and the time we commence taking resources from the ground. They've got about 12 to 15 months and there will be absolutely no difficulty. The majority of the farmers and growers are shareholders in the Lockyer Valley Fruit and Vegetable Processing Company, Proprietor Limited. Uh, the majority of them have already signed commitment statements to supply. We are in absolutely no doubt we could build three of these facilities in the valley and still not run out of resource. I think Aussies are more keen than ever, Colin, to support local produce ever since the coronavirus come along. Do you think this will work in your favour as you get the project shovel ready? Well, it's a double-edged sword. Um, the ordinary Australian consumer absolutely supports us in our last round of campaigning to inform the community. 665,000 Australians responded on Facebook or received our Facebook message. Um, the issue has always been that Australian businesses and investors want short-term reward uh, or they want a premium that is unreasonable. Their focus is not on growing Australia or increasing our manufacturing base, but in the main lining their own pockets. So we've come up with a possible solution. We're about to lodge an application with the Queensland Government to form a cooperative. And the cooperative is intended to have 80,000 subscribers, Australians, each putting in $1,000. That will then fund the build of stage one of the project and they will get dividends. And as part of their membership obligations, the farmers and growers will supply the raw material and the other contributors will purchase a minimum guaranteed $200 of our product each and every year. So that gives it a real Australian flavour, Australian products, Australian grown, Australian packaged for the benefit of Australians. The cooperative approach harks to uh, times in the past, like a dairy cooperative. So you've, you've taken that and made it massive by the sounds of it. Well, it's even closer to home than that. Golden Circle was a cooperative. Of course it was, yes. And if history were to repeat itself, I'm sure those farmers and growers would never have sold it to Heinz if they knew what was coming. The good news is the Queensland Government, to its credit, has revamped the legislation for co-ops. They provide a model constitution and model rules, and they support the concept. So we would have to say that the impact will be dramatic, but the number one result be owned by Australians for Australians. And for me, 10 years on, just about exhausted and ready for the scrap heap, this has to finish this year. Where exactly is the proposed site, Colin? And, and, and have you got freehold title over it now? So the, the proposed site is in Withcott, the foothills of the Toowoomba Range. We do not have the freehold access right now today because we've got to find a significant sum of money up to potentially $4 million. 
and write a cheque and pay for it. What we do have though, is that the landowner is a committed Australian citizen who wants this project in the Lockyer Valley, who supports us, who's prepared to put his hand in his pocket for further help. But first of all, we're gonna raise enough money very quickly through the co-op and pay for that land. So what are the next steps to getting it shovel ready? Okay, a few things. Uh, we can be shovel ready within 12 weeks of funding. Uh, our principal designer, uh, Lester Underdown, who I mentioned earlier, has done years and years of work. He can tell us the, the placement of the last rivet. He can tell us the cost of the project to the nth degree. One of the benefits of taking a long time is we've got the money figures right. Uh, so really the next step is a development application to the Lockyer Valley Regional Council, a council that has given us absolute support historically. My wonderful friend, Mayor Steve Jones, helped me kick this whole project off. And since then, Tanya Milligan has been an absolute rock, total supporter. We'll put the DA in, we'll get it approved, and we'll start building. What's really important about this factory complex, it's been designed to fit the land mass. It's effectively going to be concealed in the side of a hill. It is absolutely using the state-of-the-art technology, state-of-the-art flooring technology. We even have an extraordinary plan because of Lester Underdown to use a pallet system that we'll have to patent because it's so innovative and new. Um, and essentially will exceed every environmental guideline set by the state, federal or local government. Colin, a tremendously exciting project and it sounds like it's been almost your life's work. Thanks for talking to Ipswich today. Well, it's my life work in the Ipswich Lockyer Valley region, but trust me, there's been a few other adventures on the way. Thank you. Earlier today, News Corp announced what many pundits thought inevitable. The end of the print run for more than 100 daily and weekly newspapers after June 29. In Ipswich, we'll also say a permanent farewell to the once mighty advertiser, and other weeklies like Springfield News will be digital only. The most shock through the community will come with the end of print editions of the six-day-a-week Queensland Times. To explore the hows and whys of this move by News Corp, I'm joined by a former sales and general manager of several newspapers and former sales manager of the Queensland Times, Roger Gorrell, who has extensive experience in the newspaper business across four states. Thanks for talking with Ipswich today, Roger. Alan, always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, this announcement today from News Corp, is it one they couldn't avoid? Oh, absolutely. Um, for those that have been watching and been involved with the media, uh, for many, many years, you know, I think it was inevitable. It was somewhere uh, that everyone, not only news, but a number of other companies will get to at some point in the start, at some point in time in the, in the coming months or years ahead. But uh, inevitable, unfortunate, uh, quite upsetting for those that have been affected, no doubt, and uh, for the communities that, uh, that took their news from print, um, I think it's a, it's a game changer. Are you surprised how widespread the cutting of the print editions? How many? Oh, that I think is the big one. Um, look, when we were looking at uh, some of the mastheads that have been cut, uh, you know, including the Queensland Times, the Warwick Daily News, Sunshine Coast. I mean, that's a, that's something that was probably not anticipated by the, a lot of media pundits that they were going. But some of the great 
community newspapers out west, the Chinchilla News, the Dolby Herald, you know, they're, they're the real sufferers in all of this. And um, and even into Victoria and in New South Wales, uh, there's going to be some people and communities that are going to be worse off. Uh, understand news have got to do what they got to do and digital platforms, uh, news mediums are the way of the future. But for the medium time, for the short term, I'm not sure that's uh, going to be much good for communities in those areas. I think it was always going to be a, a painful changeover whenever it uh, was going to happen. When you were at the Agreed. QT, revenue pressure must have been building then as real estate, cars and job advertising moved to other online competitors. <laughs> the, the rivers of gold classified real estate, you know, mm. with some cars. Uh, when, when basically the internet or a medium of, of online activities and platforms started. So, you know, real estate today or realestate.com and cars.com and all those other platforms took uh, what I think probably print and uh, print mediums and publishers in print took for granted. Um, we didn't evolve enough. We didn't, we weren't quick enough. We weren't nimble enough. And um, unfortunately, that was reflected in revenue decreases for the last 15 years. And um, some papers, some of those community newspapers, some of the suburban communities have done uh, quite well, actually. They, you know, they didn't have the resource, or sorry, they didn't have the revenue coming from uh, the in-house products of classifieds. Um, so they were still ticking away. And I think some of them even today, I've heard some of quite a few people that have said, you know, we're a bit shocked about this, but um, it wasn't unexpected that the broad stroke of what's happened is probably the biggest shock. Yes, look, I've heard other discussions today from uh, from commentators saying that uh, back when the internet was, you know, starting to catch on, uh, the, the old management and the old boards just didn't think that the rivers of gold would dry up and they didn't want to invest in something like realestate.com and .au and so other people mm. came along and did it. And mm. from under their noses, mm. that revenue has disappeared. Oh, I, I don't. You, you probably remember as much as I do picking up a, a Saturday QT or a Saturday Toowoomba Chronicle or the Gold Coast Bully or whatever it might have been, even the Wagga Wagga Daily Advertiser, where I was at one stage. You know, it was 60 pages of real estate and 20 pages of cars. Um, yeah, that's incredible. We forget, know, we forget but, how much it was. Yes. Uh, oh, we're, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, mm. But it was, again, unfortunately, at that point in time, and I was in the heyday there, you know, I, I saw it and was involved in it and helping customers and clients adapt to, to being competitive in those markets. Um, but we were, we just, I don't think at that point in time we were either too arrogant or we were just um, uh, too, too, we were not too quick uh, quick enough, we weren't quick enough to, to, to get involved mm. and um, others did. Well, just going back to when you were at the QT, Roger, were there any discussions mm. back then about cutting back print editions or cutting costs? Oh, look, there's always cost-cutting discussions, isn't there? Um, I, I, quite honestly, Alan, I was never at the levels that um, um, you know that would have any real insight into that. I mean, the, 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 the thought was and that always was going to be, look, maybe the QT could come back to that tri-weekly at point, some point in time. Um, in print version, but and still rely on that digital platform because the digital platforms they're there. You know, you know, people can get the content if they want to get it off that platforms, but 
whether they want to or not. Um, but um, yeah, there's always been cost call. Co- 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 um, sorry, conversations around cost cutting. Um, but when isn't there? Yeah, you know, in the media, it seems to be uh, driven by that type of conversation and has been for a number of years now, 10 years. And, and I think that it actually stems from the rivers of gold again being so widely decimated and taken from print virtually overnight. Mm. You know, it wasn't overnight, but it now feels like it was overnight. Well, that's right. True. Mm. <laughs> You're right. But, um, yeah, so uh, to answer your question, there's always been conversations around that. Um, I can't really answer whether or not how, how close it was, but um, in this instance, um the, the, the powers to be have decided, well, let's, uh, let's in this case, in News Limited, reduce our numbers significantly uh, in mastheads and, uh, and the communities they serve uh, in print versions, but the digital version will remain. Well, it's out there now. The tipping point has been reached. What surprises mm. me, Roger, is there's still, there seems to be uh, still a great resistance by the general public to pay for a subscription, an online, an online subscription. Currently, mm. the pricing, it's one of the cheapest things you can buy. Mm. Um, mm. I, I just don't know how newspaper companies can overcome that resistance. It's, it's marketing, go back to the marketing philosophy, isn't it? I suppose mm. at the end of the day is that, um, and, and local newspapers, community regional newspapers, are all about local content. So if you start decimating newsrooms of good journalists and quality journalists that have connections and belong to the community and probably pick up one or two stories at either the pub or down at the football fields or over at the schoolyards picking up the kids one afternoon, that is lost. Um, yeah, yes, everyone's desk-bound and working, working yeah, from a computer. And everyone gets fed the news from certain circles, and this is what really concerns me, is the feed of news from um, from those that govern us at all levels is prolific, and it's not questioned, and it's taken for what it is, and we don't get, I believe, pushback in, in what we're getting told in newsrooms. Um, I might be wrong. I hope I am. Only the, fu- only the future will give that answer, Roger. That's right, mm. um, but I think, I think also, you know, Alan, is that um, the quality of those that are writing content and writing stories, whether it be digital platforms, which which it will be these days, or or radio or TV, um, you know, we've got to give, as consumers, we've got to give uh, and pay for what we want. And if we don't, we're just going to be be kept in the the dark to some extent. And it'll ultimately disappear. Mm. Absolutely, ultimately disappear, and we'll be Facebook junkies and Facebook news takers. And to me, that's a real concern. That's a, that's just a nightmare. And I hope that news, and I hope some of the other major news players in the in in the world, which you're talking about, um, yeah, you know, the likes of the uh, newly formed group down there in New South Wales, predominantly, and um, Victoria called Australian Community Media. You know, they bought 160 titles recently. But only just recently said, you know, I think it was April this year, you know, we're going to shelve 60 while this COVID thing is going on. I think that's an excuse for um, COVID certainly had an impact, uh, effect, but it's not the catalyst for what's going on here. What about the papers that are left printing, like the Courier Mail? How much longer do you think it can survive in print? Oh, Million dollar question? Yeah, exactly. Um, I hope it's going to be there for a long time because I think, again, the, the print products and the quality of journalism, uh, not only in print, but in some of those other mediums I mentioned a minute ago, 
that's that's always been the go-to when you really want to know the facts, when you really want to understand what's happening. Or you, think, you, you don't get that off a lot of other media. And you certainly don't get it, I don't believe, in some of the social media mediums. But um, I hope it stays around for a long time, as does the Sydney Morning Herald and the Canberra Times and all those great products that were, you know, the bastions of keeping the people and keeping the bastards honest as to coin a phrase, yes. you know. Um, I hope they stay for a long time. They, they may get thinner. Uh, they may have more content that's paid for rather than being delivered by, you know, quality journalists researching and taking time to do that. But let's hope, make that they stay, stay around for a while. I've done a little tally here, and from what I can make out, there's going to be a lot of idle printing presses. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to be sold off, closed permanently? What are they going to do with them? Well, there's going to be some... Uh, some pretty big commercial or, or industrial space available for some people if they want to take advantage of it. Um, mm. Printing presses are big, clunky, heavy things to, to put together and then dismantle. Um, you won't find too many buyers. I think the last time I got involved in selling a printing press was actually in Wagga Wagga and we sold it to Indonesia and, and I think it's still going and it was a 110-year-old Goss uh, printing press. So... Um, there's markets, isn't there? There's markets for everything, but um, what the price will be is another thing. Just to wrap it up, Roger, how do you see the future of these now digital-only newspapers, and in particular in Ipswich with the Queensland Times? Look, I hope I hope they stay. I hope they grow. I hope people do support them, as you know we talked about earlier on. I hope people do find the fact that um, whatever their subscription fee is, it's not bad. Um, you're getting quite a lot of bundled news together in that. Uh, I hope the producers and the owners of these products are able to support the local communities by providing that local content. And um, more than ever, Alan, you know, whether they stay or not, I think there's opportunities in all of this as well. And I'm sure communities and community groups and those that are concerned about what's happening in the local regions will go, hang on, I want to produce something myself or I want to find a way to do that. And, um, you know, I think there's also that opens doors up for people to look at what they can do. But the QT is a great product. It is an institution to this community and served it so well. And I hope it continues to do so in the future. And I'm sure they'll they'll find ways to make sure it does. Roger Goral, appreciate your comments. Thanks so much for talking to Ipswich today. Love it. Thanks, Alan. See ya. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australians since 1999. You can share this podcast from your favourite app or play Ipswich Today from your smart speaker. Suggestions are welcome for future interviews and topics. Just jump on the Ipswich Today Facebook page and leave a message. Music is from Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich today on your favourite app and never miss an episode.
or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.